Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Volume 129 of Broadway Bullet for September 20th, 2007. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got a great episode in this, our fifth episode of coverage of the Nymph Festival. That's the New York Musical Theater Festival, if you haven't been paying attention. We've got some great shows in this episode. We've got music performances and interviews with the musicals The Good Fight, Back Home the War Brides musical, Sherlock Holmes The Early Years, and Love Kills. Also, don't miss this week, we got a special special extra bonus episode with interviews, music, and more from more shows, three more shows, Like Love, Die Hard, The Puppet Musical, and Going Down Swinging. This is a lot to take in this week, but of course, it's only natural. There's a lot to take in at the New York Musical Theater Festival, which just launched this Monday. So get your tickets now. Go to nymf.org. If you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to Broadway Bullet. We've got a chaptered edition at iTunes, which uh, you don't miss an episode. It downloads automatically every week to your iTunes computer or your iPod, and that means you can skip move through each of the segments and either skip or re-listen to your favorite segment again with ease. But we're not going to talk too much more about that. Just search Broadway Bullet at iTunes or uh, there's a button right in the front of broadwaybullet.com. Let's jump into the program. On the boards. Everybody knows the mark of a true boxing champion is if they've got the balls to sing in the ring. Or anyway, we'll find that out here with The Good Fight, which is uh, importing into the New York Musical Theater Festival all the way from Australia. And we have two of the actors and the writer here with us today. How are you guys doing? Hi there. Hi. You want to introduce yourselves quickly and say what you're doing with the show? Well, I'm David King. I'm head of the Music Theater Department at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. And I'm the composer and musical director of the show. Um, I'm Gareth Keegan, and I'm playing the legendary Australian boxer Les Darcy. And I'm also a student at Whopper. I'm Brad Carroll, and I'm also a student at Whopper in my last year. And um, I'm playing Charlie Faulkner, who um, is Les Darcy's best mate. All right. And that, in American parlance, doesn't mean you're, like, dating. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so uh, the first question always is, uh, what is The Good Fight about? Well, it's about the story of Les Darcy, who is a legendary figure in Australia. And he was a, a famous boxer and indeed came to the United States to try to get the world middleweight champion. Um, and his is a, quite a tragic story. He, he died amazingly young. Uh, and we've taken that idea 
and tied it up with the First World War because his life um, happily coincided for us or dramatically with the First World War. And we've created another story about Charlie Faulkner, his friend. And so the themes of the show are around men and violence, men being sent off to war, what their mothers thought about this and the whole notion of blood sports as well, of, of men being involved in violent sport. So they're the broad themes and... Uh, we've created a musical out of this, and a likely material. <laughs> so all the, all the gay musical theatre goers are wondering if people are shirtless. Um, so, uh, oh, no, but they look very cute. I, I, I wear a we, singlet. There you go. We have, we have an astonishingly um, charming and attractive group of young people here all the way from Perth. So I think um, there's something for everybody, really. Now, you did. You came a long way, and you came with a massive amount of people here, uh, what was that like, coordinating, getting everybody over here? For the well, day? I didn't do that much coordinating. I had a whole fabulous group of people who helped do the coordinating for me. Um, I basically got the whole notion up and got um, an invitation from Chris Stewart from the festival. Um, but, yeah, we, we're touring 20 students and five big people. And... <laughs> <laughs> That what you think of us. And uh, the five big people included... Yes, Brad and Gareth, you're little people. Yeah, yeah, apparently. <laughs> and the, 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 um, we have a documentarian with us who's, who's at this very moment um, taping what I'm saying. So we, that's this whole experience of... Two, 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 yeah, two weeks in New York, is we're going to have the whole thing recorded because it's an incredible event for our students, of course. I mean, we are a music theatre course. We do music theatre for three years, all day, every day, from nine till six, and often in the evenings, and to come to New York, the centre of music theatre, is unbelievably exciting for everyone. Particularly a lot of the kids have never been to New York. A couple of them have, but most of them haven't. There's, there's a few of our kids who haven't... A few of our kids, a few of our students, <laughs> yeah. about four who haven't actually left Australia before, so this is their first trip overseas. And so Australians are known for travelling a lot. So yeah. that is a... <laughs> and this is a 30-hour flight, I repeat, a 30-hour flight. From the moment that we left Perth to the moment we got out at Newark Airport, it was 30 hours. It's a killer. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. There's like 10 Australians, and everybody in America has met one of them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we go further, um, you're going to grace us with a performance here from the show live here in the studio. Sure. So do you want to set up this first or this song that you're going to be performing? Well, I'll get Gareth to talk about that. Oh, about uh, The Golden World? Well, The Golden World comes in after Les Darcy has just won his first big fight, and um, his friend Charlie is trying to coerce him into, you know, putting his name out there. Um to become popular whereas and m make some money and become famous, whereas Les Darcy, he cares a lot for his family, um, his mother, and, he, and he's very Christian and he just wants... a uh, Catholic. <laughs> and he just wants to uh, earn a good living as a blacksmith and make some money for his family because at the time it was very... Um, they were very poor and so his goal through life was to just set his family up. That's why he didn't go to war or anything because he just wanted to set his family up. So basically, it's, a, it's not quite an I want song. It's a kind of this is what you should want song. All right. Well, David, hop on the piano and let's do this. Make a mighty odyssey of fighter and writer. You, the new Jack Johnson, me, the Homer of the ring. We'll join forces, two intrepid conquerors. Hold your horses. I'm a blacksmith. You're a king. We'll cross the foam to write on history's pages. I'll stay home. 
And earn a good week's wages And miss the mighty odyssey of fighter and writer We could swim the Hellespont and scale the pyramids They'll see us walking boldly over London Bridge Yes, and gawking like a couple of Maitland kids And they'll be yours, we'll make you famous, Darcy Everywhere we go they'll dip their lids Far beyond the harbour lies a golden world Full of wonders like a beacon glowing there Here's the greatest wonder of all wonders We're going there Bring on the mighty odyssey of Scrapper and Scribbler We'll see St Paul's, Niagara Falls, Berlin, the Amazon When Darcy's art is called a wonder of its own We two hearties down Fifth Avenue will swan The crowds will part that the famous Darcy Everywhere we go they'll cheer us on Far beyond the harbour lies a golden world Full of wonders like a beacon glowing there Here's the greatest wonder of all wonders We're coming there Sail beyond the heads to see the golden world Milk and honey will be freely flowing there Sail beyond the heads to the horizon All the world's wonders are beckoning All that life offers is yours Is yours Is yours So what have been the, the most fun things that the two of you get to do portraying the boxing world of Australia down in the... <laughs> Early nineteen, eight twenty, early twentieth century. Oh, um, well, you don't actually do much boxing. Yeah, it's, not, yeah. It's, 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 it's the curious thing in the show. We don't actually do much boxing. I was fascinated to see. Uh, well, we, the, we don't have people going. Oh, I'm going to throw you a left and I'm no. throw you a right. No, we have a surprisingly sophisticated approach to all that, which will knock the New Yorkers back in their seats. Uh, we don't actually do much boxing, yeah. but uh, because the story is not about what happens in the boxing ring particularly, there are other bigger issues involved, but we recreate sections of the, the First World War in Gallipoli, for example, and, and stylized forms of boxing. But I don't know what the guys think about the most exciting thing they've had to do in the show. I guess... Coming to New York. Come to New <laughs> yeah, you know, what else could there be? And singing my radiant score, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> but it's also because we... There, there was a year before that kind of did it as one workshop did, and we got to re-workshop it. So it's really nice to be able to kind of really put your own stamp on something that's really quite fresh. Mm. Uh, we've actually um, made a few changes in the show. It was first conceived several years ago and, and given a sort of small production, uh, but we've actually gone through and redone quite a bit. We've actually cut about 25 minutes out of the show in this new version of it. Uh, which the director, Crispin Taylor, and I have done. Um, our writer, Nick Enright, is, died tragically several years ago. But he was a, a famous Australian writer. He's written an enormous number of plays and indeed wrote The Boy From Oz, um, which has um, had its share of success around the world. Um, 
And so we've gone ahead with the permission of his estate to make a few changes to the show, which we've done. And there were, there were things that I know that Nick wanted to do to the show, so we were able to incorporate that. Uh, I've also cut some music that I never liked very much. So we've got, we've got, we've got the show down to a sort of very concise... Good. The co-writer's gone. No one... Yeah. Uh... Oh, I can go to town. Thank heavens. I mean, come, the first act of the show is about an hour, and the second half's an amazingly concise 35 minutes. So we've really, really kind of honed it down to um, really clarify the storytelling and get around the New Yorkers and their problems with, the, with them, English as it is spoken in Australia. I guess if you can understand me now, you can understand the actors in the show. Well, your accents aren't all that thick, you know. They're, they're, but, and is that because you're from the, the western coast? No, Australia? because the students come from all over Australia, but uh, we have, I guess, what one would call standard middle-class accents. You know, you don't talk like that. That's sort of country, you know. So we don't all sound like that. Um, we sound hopefully like we've had some sort of education. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, what is the scene like in Perth? Because you're like across the whole continent from most of the stuff that's going on. Well, absolutely. Country. Perth is the most isolated capital city in the world. Um, and it's in relation to Sydney, it is as Los Angeles is to New York for the sake of, for the, sake of the geography. Uh, but it's very, very isolated. It's a beautiful city. Do you city. also have a lot of, like, you know, bleach blonde people walking around in bikinis? We have a lot. Oh, there's a lot. It's, it's a very much, it's, it's a surfing, oh, not so really? much surfing, but it's a, well, it's a beach culture, yes. We're right on the water. With the, we have, you know, the longest beach in the world is is it in Western Australia. We have basically a beach for several thousand miles. So we're, um, we're very used to the water. It's that kind of, if anything, it's a bit like, the feel of it to me is a bit like San Diego. It's sort of like that. Um, but we are a long way from everything else. Just nobody else. trying to cross the border from somewhere. No, you, no, no, no. There's nothing underneath. There's a bit apart from a lot of ice. Um, but students come from all over Australia. We audition all around Australia for students every year. We audition about 400 people. We have 18 students are admitted to the course each year. So we have a very select group of of talented kids coming in. It's not a beginner's course. We take people who have already got a reasonable number of skills. And we have a three-year degree program and we produce people that we claim are ready for the profession at the end of three years. And Perth is a beautiful city. It's, um, it's very sunny, very hot in the summer, uh, very mild in the winter, very easy city to live in. You can actually find parking places, things like that. It's, um, it's, good. it's a great learning environment for students mm. because you don't have agents and film people staring over your shoulder all the time. Uh, they can actually go there and study and learn and train. We're going to forward this uh, interview to the Perth Tourism Board. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we're one of them great assets. Let's face it. So, uh, as you you just got here on the plane like late last night, so yeah. I imagine there's a bit of jet lag going on, and you're perf- opening. Oh, it was funny actually because um, we were over near News Corp, and one of our students uh, decided to vomit in one of the bushes up there this morning. This yeah. morning, so. Uh, yeah, and then we got asked to go on this morning show tomorrow, so that'll be fun. So, you know, opportunity. You know, so thank you to Stuart for being sick. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I hope they don't want him to vomit again. <laughs> <laughs> and we have another girl who is quite ill. But, yeah, everyone else seemed to scrape through fine. And they're going to be fine for the performance. Oh, they're going to be fine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how is uh, the schedule must be pretty crazy because you just got here and you open what in a day or two? Yes, well we've we've got to run tomorrow afternoon just in a rehearsal space. Uh, we did the show two performances on last Saturday in Perth, believe it or not. Uh, we're doing another run on, tomorrow afternoon and then Thursday. I mean the schedule within the schedule of the music theatre festival, we arrive at the theatre first thing in the morning. We take the show all day. We open that night. I mean it's, that is hectic. Uh, we'll do that. You know, it's fine. 
<laughs> now, is it actually 20 people in the show, or is that including like musicians? 18 and... actors, two musicians, um, two technical people, and then the director choreographer. Yeah. So were you able to get some sort of grant to help facilitate the, what must have been, it must have been expensive to get everybody over here? 150000 Australian dollars was the budget that I did, first of all, about a year ago. Um, I think we've managed to do it for a bit less than that. We have money the students contributed towards their airfares. Uh, we've had Australian government money, federal government money, state government money, a couple of unbelievably generous private donors. Uh, a lot of people have given small sums of money. We've done extra performances to raise money. Um, and I was able about a month ago to officially say, yes, we have the money for New York, you know, which is great. Well, it's nice to have the whole community rally around mm. you. Yeah, sure. Mm. Well, the support has been phenomenal. And, of course, the Australian press, you wave New York at them. Well, I mean, we've actually been <laughs> almost overwhelmed with, with <laughs> demands for interviews and things in a way that we, don't, we normally aren't, quite frankly. Um, but TV and radio in Australia, it's just been terrific. So that's great for our institution as a whole anyway. All right. So I definitely hope that helps out and wish you the best of luck in the festival. You open on the 20th. Eight and, o'clock at night, yeah. And then you run the th three performances? The three performances were Friday at 4.30, Sunday at 4.30 in the Julia Miles Theatre. So, yeah, through the 22nd. So people have yep. got to rush out and get there quick. They're going yep. to miss the good fight. They're going to sell the tickets are selling like hotcakes, so you need to get there quick. <laughs> now, that's a very Australian hot expression. Hotcakes used to sell in the States, but now yeah. not <laughs> yeah. so much. Yeah. Just thought I'd try out my, my American lingo, but obviously didn't yeah, work very well. <laughs> <laughs> I think you could still get hotcakes in Perth. Yeah. Jeepers, it's going great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, Brad Carroll, Gareth Keegan, and yeah. David King, thank you so much for stopping in and talking and giving us this great performance, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank, thank you. you. On the boards. The World War II era has always been ripe for musicalization with their rich diversity of musical history around the era. And we have a musical, Back Home, the War Brides musical, that is premiering at the New York Musical Theatre Festival. And we have three of the actors involved with the production here with us today. How are you doing? Good. Hey. You want to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Kristen Maloney. I'm Jeff Scott Carey. And I'm Rayissa Katona Bennett. And Jeff, don't let anybody tell you different. You'll make a beautiful war bride. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, there's no, it's not a mystery why I'm involved with this project. <laughs> so first off, I get the basic kind of heave-ho. What is War Brides, uh, or Back Home, War Brides musical about? Um, well, as uh, some people know, maybe uh, I guess that's why we're here to explain it. Um, uh, War Brides is about uh, World War II uh, British women uh, in World War II, during World War II, British women that married American GIs when they were stationed overseas. And it's th basically the women's journey um, and the long road to the United States. It took a long time, and it was a, obviously a very interesting uh, experience for them. You'd take the one place that you lived your whole life and you have to leave, you have to leave your family, everyone you know, and go somewhere you've never been, thousands of miles away, to start a new life with a man you only knew for a short amount of time. You can imagine the drama that ensues. <laughs> uh, I'm going to rub my crystal ball here, and uh, in theatricality, are you like kind of an everyman in this show? Do you play a lot of characters? Uh, no, I don't think of it as an everyman. Very specific. Uh, <laughs> oh, it is? It is no. Uh, well, I play uh, Jerry. He's a, a GI from West Virginia, and he meets Maureen Moe Gubbins, yes. played by the lovely Kristen Maloney. That's me. 
He's my man. Mm-hmm. She's my daughter. I play her mother. Oh, no. How that can't be right, Kat. I know. You're going to have to paint that makeup on thick. You're a good man, Michael. <laughs> She's versatile. She also she plays another role as well. She plays a war bride a little bit later. Yeah. Um, and she has wonderful... They all, they all have wonderful numbers. So it's basically their story, and um, I'm sort of the guy who drops in every now and then to, you know, create the uh, the plot. The, <laughs> the romance. Plot yeah, the, the romance. He's got a lot of downtime. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of group numbers for women. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic writing for women. It's it is fantastic writing for women. And um, one of the interesting things for all of us that play the war brides is is the um, the the problem between the characters or the, the actual war brides were sort of looked at as. At, as traitors by their countrymen for marrying GIs, and then they face going to America or Canada, some of them, but in our, in our show it's America, and there they're considered foreigners and not really wanted. So it's, it was um, an interesting journey for them emotionally as well as physically. And um, it, some of them weren't reunited with their husbands for over a year. It took that long mm-hmm. for the different governments, in this case the U.S. government, to reunite the war brides with their husbands in America. All right, well, before we go on further, we should play, probably play one of the songs from the demo here. Uh, does somebody want to set up this first song we're going to play? Oh, well, this is uh, sort of what we were discussing. Um, basically, Jerry and Mo met uh, while he was stationed there, and then uh, he went overseas to actually uh, fight in the war in the, on the continent. And by the time he came back, well, once the war ended, and they just corresponded uh, via letters, there's a convention that's set up in the, in the play. Um, their court, the courtship that occurs happens via letters. Um, obviously, they couldn't be together in person. So then he comes back to London where she lives, and he's about to be shipped home. And he's on a 48-hour pass, basically. And he asks her to marry him very abruptly, and very he's very intense <laughs> about it. And naturally, uh, she's a little taken aback. <laughs> so this song is his persistence and her dealing with the issue at hand. And this is called... Uh, this is called Right Away, right away. aptly titled. Right away, right away, time will fly and I'll be gone. Say you'll marry me, come on, right away. Say I'll marry you. Here's the ring, try it on. Take our blood and get a test and the license and the rest right away. Please make up your mind and do it soon. I've reserved the chapel tomorrow noon. Tomorrow noon? Right away, right away. Tell your mom and then we'll go meet my sergeant, my CO right away, right away, right away, right away, right away. If I had any pride at all, I'd say I'd have to think it over. Right away. Any pride at all, I'd tell him time is what say I need. Say you'll marry If I had any pride, I'd say, what makes you so sure time I will love fly and you? I'll be gone. Don't take me for granted. Right away. If I had any pride, I'd say, you could have written me. To tell me right away, right away. Any pride at all? I tell him maybe, maybe not. Go and tell your mom. Any pride, and I would tell him. Look, Chapel you don't know how I feel, Mister. Maybe right I away, am right away, right away, right away. If I had any pride at all, I tell him we must do this proper. Right away, do it proper with a bridal gown, lace veil. Please, Mo, answer me. All the trimmings that I dreamt about. I won't marry you without them. That's what I should tell him. What do you say?
Gee, Mo, I'm sorry. Do you want some time? Why don't you take, like, 15 minutes to think about it? 15 minutes? We can't waste 15 minutes! Right away, right away! Tell me, Mom, and after that, see your sergeant for a chat right away! Right away! Right away! Right away! Right away. Right away. All right, so the three of you here, are you actors who do a lot of research and in-depth preparation into your roles? Absolutely not. <laughs> She's so honest, I swear. No, no, but, yes. So, because uh, I'm curious if you come up with any interesting stories and you're digging of some real life kind of thing. Yes. Well, it's funny, when, when we say we're doing a show about World War II, we wind up talking to people and people's grandmothers and their memories to try to get people who are as close to the event as possible. And unfortunately, a large amount of the population are now dying out. Um, but I have spoken to... The, the theater-going crowd. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> right? Um, but there is a woman who's working on her memoir. She's a 90-year-old woman and a friend of a friend who mentioned that she was on a ship that was torpedoed. It didn't sink, but it was a ship full of war brides that was... Uh, that was torpedoed, and it, wow. I don't know, an who error? It, I or? wonder who was torpedoed by. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Swiss. No, Swiss, it was the Swiss. Yeah. Swiss never <laughs> do anything. They just They're right the in the boat. middle, yeah, you know, they can't decide. So. But it was a very dangerous crossing. In one of our uh, cast members, Christina Morell, uh, evidently her grandmother was a war bride. Um, she found that out uh, during the course of the musical. We also just, there's a, evidently a lot of um, websites devoted to this. I must have read about 25 stories this weekend of war brides uh, and to, to hear what their particular um, journeys were like. It was really fun because a lot of them still had um, quite broken English, believe it or not. And they weren't, obviously, these were clearly not English war brides. Um, there was a German war bride who had an interesting story and um, just 800 women and children in, in the hold of a ship and how they would do their laundry and this and that. But the thing that annoyed them the most, and it reflects on one of the shows, one of the songs in our show, was that they had to show their papers every single day. Every single day they're on the ship, they had to show the papers. And she's like, what did they think? That something changed <laughs> mid, yeah. mid Atlantic, you know? And of course, then when they got off the ship, they had to show their papers. So. Um, a lot of interesting stories, and so most of them seem very, very happy. Well, they thought happy. the Germans were paratroopering. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, to the ship. Well, yeah, you can imagine Dressing as the women. bureaucracy <laughs> that you had, you know, the red tape they had to go through. I mean, things at that time. At just, that time? There's no <laughs> right. yeah. Not anymore. You know, you just go on the website and click it, and you're there. You know, they had their know. own Patriot Act back then, I think. Right. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think that, like, we all, we all know um, people in our generation and, our, you know, our parents and our grandparents, were involved in World War II, and that's been, it's been very, uh, we, see, we see it in films, you know, plays, musicals about it. It's such a romantic time, at least in our minds, and in my mind at least. You know, and I think of, like, my grandfather and my grandmother and him being overseas and her being in the United States, and the only, con the only connection that they had are these letters that they wrote that would take weeks and weeks to get from one place to the other. And it's something that we can't imagine today uh, because communication is at a point where it's very it's so easily accessible. You can talk to anybody on the planet anytime, pretty much. Well, except so. for the government doesn't let the soldiers <laughs> blog anymore. Right. Oh, is that right? Oh. oh, that's interesting. I guess they don't want things getting out. I mean, it makes sense. The shoe fits. But give me chills thinking about that. Mm -hmm. Thinking about waiting for a letter from your loved one for so long, and especially that scene that you guys do, waiting yeah. for a letter from Jerry, and you just anything because they don't get through for whatever reason. It's yeah. The end of the show kind of turns on a letter as well. Yeah. yeah. 
But I mean, the thing that I always think is I just I can't imagine the strength that it took. And, you know, we think of them as the greatest generation, they say. But I think that's one of the reasons, because they had an incredible resolve and um, they, they knew hardships that we don't know. Yeah. All right, well, let's continue on. Let's listen to one more song from the demo here. Uh, I believe this is going to be the title song. Does this need any setup? Uh, I, I guess you know, the, the one we just heard, this is going to be Back Home, the song? Yeah. The one that we just heard was um, Jerry proposing to Mo, and then she says yes, actually, um, which is, he's very excited about that. But um, giving it away. <laughs> I gave it away. <laughs> now they're not going to come. She was the one, the one who wasn't a war bride. That was the twist. No. Um, so basically now he's uh, explaining to her what her new life is going to be like in West Virginia in this town called Bluebell. And um, he's romanticized, at least in his mind, it's his home, and so he's just explaining to her how wonderful life is going to be. All right, let's take a listen. Wait till you get there, they'll know how to treat you. You'll see back home. They're gonna love you the minute they meet you with me. Back home. First I'll take you downtown to get that true soul you planned. Hit the snazziest nightclub that features a band I'll introduce you, my buttons are popping with pride Back home, after an evening of fun without stopping We'll glide back home When they see your complexion your smile and your loving way They'll know why I chose to bring you back home to But soon you'll be on your way And then we will be together Back home to stay So how large is this cast for the show? Oh, if you figured out how many characters, there's probably about 50. But there's, um, oh my god, are there 10 of us? Ten. There's 10 of us, yeah. That's a good size. And, and I, we've heard a couple of the, the male numbers from the show, but as you said, there's a lot of real real big yeah, female the, group. The, well, the show is first, I should say, it was written by uh, lyrics by Frank Evans, yes, book by uh, Ron Sprout, who also wrote Dark Shadows. For any of you who remember that? I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. For God's sake. And uh, music by Christopher Berg. And uh, they've, a lot of us are actually returning, reprising our roles in uh, the show. We did it two years ago, two outings of it at the yeah. York Theater and at the BMI, um, BMI building. 
And so we have the, um, the luxury of actually knowing each other already. So a lot of the women especially, we have to spend a lot of time together in confined spaces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily everyone likes each other and, and everybody we, smells good. <laughs> so. yeah, it's got to be both, not one or the other. Yeah. And Kristen, I overheard that you're kind of a BMI slut over there. <laughs> <laughs> I the am a, BM, out. I'm oh, a BMI sucker and a BMI whore. No, oh. I, uh, oh my I, uh, God. Also a writer for BMI. Um, I'm a really gigantic supporter of BMI, the Lehman Angle Musical Theater Writing Workshop, where you'll find at least nine or ten of the shows, at the very least, represented in NEMF have writers that are BMI, either alums or current uh, members. And Frank is on the board and the steering committee of, and, um, of BMI. And if you want to see the show, you'll see an example of the very best writing that the BMI has to offer, mm-hmm. and it's a great advertisement for the program as a training ground because um, it's very, it's excellent, literate, wonderful writing, and everybody who goes who has a respect for those things will enjoy it. Whether you, it, even if you're not interested in World War II or War Brides at all, but you're interested in musical theater as a form, this is a great piece to say. Well, specifically, I want to because uh, I'm sure there's some listeners out there who might be interested. If, if somebody wants to get involved in singing and, and performing for these writers and you know building up their chops that way, how would one get involved? Well, I mean, I actually met Frank also through the BMI workshop. Um, I was, you know, you just have to kind of I don't know. You have to be invited into that, actually. I was invited to sing um, some music for, for Richard Evans, no relation, but also a, a um, collaborated with Frank, and then Frank heard me and asked me to, to do some of their stuff. Uh, I think you just have to kind of get out there and audition and look for, it's really good to look for new projects because everything that's coming into Broadway and off-Broadway nowadays usually has come in with a team of actors, directors, musical directors, already attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not so easy. I mean, look at what happened with Legally Blonde recently, right? I mean, that, those, that workshop pretty much came intact. To Broadway, so you you kind of have to go out and, and look, um, you know, check out your backstage or your yeah. your, your newsletters and, and, and audition for these new projects. Start getting your name out there. It, it becomes it's a nice little incestuous community, you know. Um, I through through this I met a man named Bick Goss, who's our director. That I ended up doing some work for him and Mark Janis, our musical director, oh, yeah. has then ended up using us all in different um, venues as well, in different projects. So Mark's it's amazing. Really, yeah, he's he should he's, be an agent. <laughs> you know, you just have to. It's it's it's. There's no shortcut. You just have to get out and, and audition and meet people. Meet people. All right. So with back home, what is the opening date for the show? It's Monday, next the 24th, Monday, fourth, I believe, and it runs through September thirtieth. That's the Sunday. All right, and they can find specific dates and times at nymph.org or Correct. links through our show notes at Broadway Bullet. And uh, what theater is this one playing at? At the Sage Theater, which is on 7th Avenue between 47th and 48th. And um, it's actually the American Girl Place Theater. And it says right above it, Sage Theater, tiny, tiny letters. So look for the big American Girl Place and go upstairs and come see us. All right. Well, Raisa Katona Bennett, is that right? Perfect. And uh, Krista Maloney and (laughs) Jeff Scott Carey, thank you so much for coming on and chatting about War Brides. It's been fascinating. And I wish you guys the best of luck. Thanks, Thanks, Michael. Michael. The call board. 
it's a busy week for the call board this week. Uh, this week, September 17th, opening week of the New York Musical Theater Festival. Visit www.nymf.org for tickets and more information on the shows, concert, and happenings this year. And do not wait. Uh, many of the shows sell out, so if you're thinking you're liking something, get on top of it. Don't delay. All right, also beginning September 19th, Rita McKenzie is reviving her award-winning one-woman show, Ethel Merman's Broadway, to celebrate what would have been the late Broadway star's 100th birthday. The Ivoryton Playhouse is located at 103 Main Street in Ivorytown, Connecticut. For more information and tickets, call 860-767-7318 or visit www.ivorytonplayhouse.com. On September 20th, Leah Michelle, who plays Wendla in the Tony-winning best musical Spring Awakening, will sit down for a chat with host Seth Rudeski at the September 20th edition of Seth's Broadway Chatterbox. September 23rd, the 21st annual Broadway Flea Market and Grand Auction held in Schubert Alley. The outdoor fundraiser raises money for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, and features the theatrical memorabilia donated by the theater community. The day-long event also boasts a celebrity booth where theater fans can purchase autographs, buy, or photos with their favorite stars from Broadway, off-Broadway, and television serials. For more information on the flea market and other Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS events, Visit the Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS website at www.bcefa.org or call 212-840-0770. And on September 25th, The Boyfriend kicks off the new season of Musicals Tonight, which runs through October 7th. The musical, which ran for six years in London before arriving in New York with a cast led by Julie Andrews, includes such songs as It's Never Too Late to Fall in Love and Won't You Charleston With Me. For more information, visit www.musicalstonight.org. This week, the call board is sponsored by The Nymph Shows, Cutman the Musical, and Like Love. All his life, Ari Hoffman has dreamed of being the welterweight boxing champion of the world. Cutman, a boxing musical, presented by the New York Musical Theater Festival in Banner, New York. Ladies and gentlemen, Cutman chronicles the story of a young Jewish boxer's rise to stardom. But when his faith is tested, Ari Hoffman must choose between his ambitions and his religion. With an inspired original score by Drew Brody, written and directed by Jared Michael Casalia. Be the first to see the makings of a new musical. Cutman, a boxing musical. October 4th and 6th at the TBG Theater. Get in the ring at CutmanTheMusical.com. For tickets, go to nymph.org. That's nymf.org. On sale September 1st. He meets her. He likes her. She likes him. They meet regularly for great sex. Then love enters the picture. Things get complicated. Like Love, an intimate new musical. Book and lyrics by Barry J. Kaplan. Music by Louis Flynn. Winner of the Drama League New Works Award. Beginning September 20th at the TBG Theater, 312 West 36th Street. Be a part of the New York Music Theater Festival. For tickets, call 212-352-3101 or visit nymf.org. Like Love, being hailed as the best 75 minutes in theater. Call 212-352-3101 now. On the boards. Evidently, in addition to playing the violin, Sherlock Holmes used to sing in the early years. I think that's what we're going to get at in Sherlock Holmes' The Early Years, which is coming to the New York Musical Theater Festival. We've got the three writers here with us today. How are you guys doing? We're good. good. Doing well. Very good. You want to introduce yourself? Say what you did so people can connect the faces with the names. Uh, my name is Jared Dombowski. I'm the composer. Uh, my name's Kate Ferguson, and um, I co-wrote the book with Robert Hudson, who um, isn't here today. 
Uh, and I am Susanna Pierce, and I wrote the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Sherlock Holmes, The Early Years. What is this about? It is. is it a... uh, it, it's. <laughs> what, what is it about? What an excellent question. Um, it. <laughs> it is uh, an imagined, a reimagined first meeting, I should say, between um, Holmes and Watson. Um, anyone who has read the Sherlock Holmes books will know that uh, Conan Doyle did his own version of this, <laughs> which was, I'm actually reading that right now. Well, there you go. So you... And then he goes off for 35 pages about the Mormons in Utah. Exactly right. Exactly right. It's very strange. <laughs> Our our um, explanation of the crime is a little more mundane than that, um, but um, we we decided to just take our own sort of view on their first meeting. Um, we've made them perhaps a little younger than they than they were in the original novels, and uh, we've created lots of original characters as well. But you also meet some of the more famous characters that you'll be aware of from the books. Now, have you? Determined, I haven't gotten far enough yet. How how young are the characters in the novels? I'm actually getting the sense that they're a lot younger than I had envisioned. Sherlock Holmes being anyway. Yeah, well, I think, you, you know, all the TV adaptations sort of seem to indicate, you, you know, they're all cast with people who are in their 40s and their 50s. Um, and I think that gives the impression that perhaps all the stories were set then. Uh, uh, whereas, of course, they were written over a huge period of time. Um, and Sherlock Holmes, in fact, had two lives. Um, you know, he died once and then was brought back to life yeah. by his creator. It's the original. It's, it's how Dynasty got their exactly. idea. Was it, Dallas <laughs> it was all a dream. It? Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> but um, Actually, when the when the books were first written, it was you know very much that it was their young lives. Um, Sherlock Holmes was um, you know researching at the hospital where Do- where Doctor Watson worked, um, and Watson had was back had been in the army uh, and came out of the army injured and was was trying to sort of create a life for himself in London, which is when he first met Holmes. So in fact, you know really when they first meet, they're sort of they're probably late twenties, early thirties, I think. But you don't tend to see that in the adaptations. Before we go continue, maybe we should play one of the songs from the demo that you have recorded on this. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this first song we're going to play? Sure. It's the denouement, right? Right. Um, Ooh, big word. Big word. Big Big word. word. Hard to pronounce. And uh, (laughs) I think it probably, I mean, it happens in the second act, and it's basically where at the point when Sherlock Holmes has finally figured out the mystery of the entire story and he's going to explain it. And so the cast basically just sings this song because they want Sherlock Holmes to explain. This is where the denouement happens uh, in the piece. All right, let's take a listen. It's time for the denouement, denouement, denouement. So let's not mess about. It's not the time for singing or dancing or singing. It's simply time to find the answers out. Don't let's find what's wrong with you, sit down. 
Now, are there any uh, duets between Watson and Sherlock Holmes? Does the musical aspect to cast a new light on their relationship? <laughs> it certainly <laughs> does. We take a little bit of a, uh, a twist on their relationship between the two. They do, they do sing uh, a duet in the uh, second act. Uh, appropriately titled, this would probably be a love song. Um, between the two of them. Yeah, you know, because the, the, the attitude gets all written, you know, in first person by Watson, and it, it really very much sounds like he has a man crush on Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah. You, you. yeah. And you might you might be able to pick that up from, yeah. from, from this show. Once or twice. <laughs> we, we definitely don't keep it to the subtext, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> There's a lot of Watson writing in his book. So where did the show spring from? Uh, now, I, I'm guessing that at some point, uh, Jared, you came on later. I'm guessing. I don't know. You're American. The other, you, you, the other, the girls are British. Um, mm -hmm. what, right. what is the history of getting this show together? Well, how how I came on. Um, well, unless you do, you want to go into where Mighty Finn? No, I'm interested from? to hear your take on it, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> where I came on board is um, uh, I went to NYU for the graduate musical theater writing program, and I met Sue uh, when I was in there. We were both on the same cycle together, and we ended up writing our thesis project in the second year. And after we got finished there, um, I'd heard all along about these Mighty Finn productions that were going on and stuff like that. This, these, pan these Christmas pantos that they would write uh, in London every Christmas. And they would basically just give all the money to charities, everything that they raised. Um, and Sue had approached me and asked me if I would like to participate that year, uh, which was 2005, right? Uh -huh. yep. um, and asked me if I'd like to write the music for it. Because um, normally she had written the music and lyrics for everything, and Kate, you had written normally just the book the for book. everything. Yeah. Um, and so she asked me if I'd, like, if I'd like to come in and help, and uh, I did. And uh, that, that's, what, that's how we all got involved. And yeah. then I, got, I met Kate for the first time. I think when I after first when I went written the show. after we'd written <laughs> the right. show and I went to see the performance of it in London that yeah. was the first time I had written you so or I'd seen you but um yeah it was kind of an interesting way that it was written too because Sue and I were here in America still and Kate was still in England so we had this continental type of thing this yeah. intercontinental type of thing going on and uh um you had already written the book you'd already written basically the whole thing and that's were, right yeah. there were uh places where you had suggested where songs could be inserted and, and Sue and I just kind of basically went through and, and looked through all that and basically just kind of inserted songs where they needed to be um, and it got written. Saves on research, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. It does. And yeah. I actually, I had never um, uh, read a Sherlock Holmes story. I'd never seen a movie. I didn't know anything about uh, him at all, really. Um, and this was my first introduction to him, which was very interesting, I must say. Um, but yeah, it was, it was written extremely fast. Um, I don't know how long you spent on the book, Kate, but Sue and I basically, we, I think we wrote 17 songs in a matter of five weeks, which was very, very quick. Um, and then we, and then I orchestrated it in about two weeks and then it was done. So, yeah. but, uh, I, I remember when I wrote it, I never thought it would ever do anything. I thought this was going to be a show. <laughs> I thought we were going to be, well, I thought this, you know, when you asked me, I thought, well, this is just going to be a fun project. Our thesis project was so emotionally draining uh, to do that and For to have this, to have this wany, wany, uh, wacky, zany type of show. And uh, Wany, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, yeah. Put that in the Google now. <laughs> yeah, so. Put that in the Google thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and I just thought this was just going to be a fun project. Um, for me to actually exercise my uh, 
skill in writing comedy songs because that's always been a, a problem for me is writing comedy songs. And here I'm going to have to write. He solved it before anybody freaks out. He did solve the problem <laughs> of how solve, to write a comedy song. It's all very hopefully. funny. And to have to write 17 <laughs> comedy songs, you know, uh, in one show was, and I thought that this was a perfect opportunity for me to exercise a skill in, in like a protective environment where I don't have to worry about anybody, you know, like any big reviewers or anything like that coming to see this, <laughs> hopefully. Um, and so, um, yeah, that was that was exciting for me, but uh, and it's done better. You know, this thing that we wrote in two months has done better than anything that I've ever written. It's I've you know taken nine, ten, eleven months to write. And then we I um, still don't understand it. After we'd uh, done it in London, we then had we entered it for a festival in Delaware, um, which was like a new musicals festival. So we got the chance to work on it again then, and we've had the chance to work on it again now. So does Sherlock still play the violin? He. Uh, it's referred it's to. It's referred to. We don't actually see him do it, but it is referred to. I think that would have you know, given us some interesting casting problems. <laughs> yeah, you can, can you sing, dance, do an English accent, and play the and violin? And play the violin. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> you know, because that would be, you know, after doing uh, Sweeney Todd and uh, Company, you know, I yeah. think right. there needs to be another show. There needs to be Definitely. another one, yeah. yeah. All the actors playing. John, yeah, the John Doyle version of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Well, let's play the next song that you got in the demo here. Um, You want to set this one up? Sure. Uh, This is a song called There's Something Holding Me Back. Uh, And it's the second act duet between uh, Dr. Watson and Nurse Mary, who is an original character created for the show, um, who has has a a growing relationship with Dr. Watson, but also has a mysterious past with Sherlock Holmes. And I just want to say it's Jared and Kate singing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You're a lovely girl, a kind, sweet girl, the kind of girl I could take home to mum. And I love you, well, at least I think. But there's something that's holding me back. You're a lovely man, a kind, sweet man. It's not lost. There's always that something that's holding me back. A man can't spend nights with his intellectual rigor. By your eyes, it's not right. I don't think that we should. If loving you means leaving. I doubt I ever could. Holmes, he's He's a shining light. He shines so bright. He is more to me than love. Oh, he's excitement. He's adventure. So. Although I could seize this moment right now, I really can't seize this moment right now. I really should, can't, should, can't, oh no. I'm so deep. 
All right, so where can we catch Sherlock Holmes' The Early Years? Uh, you can catch it at the Theatre at St. Clement's, and our opening date is the 24th of September, um, and then our final date is the 6th of October. All right, and uh, so that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> I was going to say, what theater it's at, but you said St. Clement's. <laughs> you beat me to the punch. Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, I wish you the best of luck here at Nymph. And uh, Susanna Pierce, Kate Ferguson, Jared Dombowski, I thank you so much for coming in to talk about Sherlock Holmes' the early years. Thank, thank you. positive side. Hey, this is Marty Cooper once again on the positive side. And, and before I start the day's proceedings, if you have any questions, uh, any criticism, any ideas, just email me personally at broadwaymarty, one word, at AOL.com. Before I get to the business of the day, I wanted to discuss uh, a couple of things. Uh, last week, I swore up and down that I would not mentioned Les Miserables again, but uh, after this week's news, I find it necessary. The lovely Judy Kuhn is going in on October 23rd. She was the original Cosette, and she's coming in as Fantine. And to all of you Broadway queens that had something to say about her age on all that chat or wherever, I'm sure at her 40-something years, she looks a lot better than most of you. Another thing I wanted to talk about, the Legally Blonde telecast on September 29th. I was talking about this to Michael, uh, and we came to the conclusion that this is a, a great idea, that people will get to see a show before they spend their $120, uh, get a little idea of what it's about, and they'll probably want to see it live, as when you figure that over the years, uh, movie versions of Broadway shows like Chicago and Phantom of the Opera, which... Phantom of the Opera was totally bombed by the critics, but it just kind of added an extra shot to the box office and at the Majestic. Rent did kind of the same thing. Hairspray did the same thing. So uh, I can't see no harm coming from this, uh, only good. Uh, I think it'll increase the audiences. I think people will get the idea that, hey, this is a good show, which it is. I enjoyed it a lot. I hope it'll bring more people to the Palace Theater. Uh, unfortunately, over the last couple of weeks, I've read some of the takes, and I think the, I don't think Wicked sold out last week. Jersey Boys, I think, was the only 100% show. I mean, shows that were way up there, like, uh, like Spring Awakening, is uh, down in the 70s again. Uh, it was hard to believe. I, I don't know what's keeping people from coming to this area, but uh, whatever it is, I hope it ends soon. Well, now to the business of the day, and I, I was thinking about the fact that some shows make it on marquee value alone. For instance, if you put Mary Poppins on a marquee, it's going to bring people in, whether, whether the critics liked it or not. If you put Grease on a marquee, it's going to bring people in, whether the critics bomb it or they don't, which in this case they did. I'm going to talk about a few shows, uh, some shows that should have made it, and some shows that have no marquee value at all that have. I mean, Rent, for instance, uh, when that show came in, it, it lasted on the basis of it just being a good show and getting reviewed well. It became kind of a cult classic. No one knew what that show was about when it, when it first opened off-Broadway. And uh, people just went. They heard it was good. And, and word of mouth just kept it going. In this day and age, I, I think a show like that would not make it just with that name on the title. 
There were certain shows that did have the name like Tarzan, which got reviewed badly. And uh, for the most part, it didn't bring in audiences. I'm going to bring up my favorite show one more time. Walk down 44th Street and see a mask and a little girl on the marquee. And people are going to flock to see those shows. And they're still flocking. And sometime in January, it will be the 20th anniversary of Phantom of the Opera. And Lee Miz is back again and doing well again, although last week, as with every other show, uh, it did, I think, 63%, which is inexplicable to me. In any case, I'll bring up Spring Awakening, which I think has started to make it on merit alone, because unless people really knew the book it was based on, they had no idea what they were going to see. I think word of mouth and, of course, uh, a bunch of Sony Awards I think started bringing people in, and it's a good thing because it's a it's a really it's a really good show. And of course, uh, sometime in February we're going to have at the Richard Rogers Theater in the Heights that basically is going to have to make it on merit alone, uh, merit possibly good reviews, and possibly word of mouth from the Off Broadway production because people just won't have an idea what they're seeing. I think possibly a, a broadcast of a show like that would help. A whole lot, especially to some of the out-of-towners. I also wanted to thank the people that emailed me over the last couple of weeks. I very much appreciate their comments. I'd love people to keep those cards and letters coming in. Well, in any case, I think my topic this week uh, is going to spill over into next week's podcast because I have a few more shows to talk about. Once again, this is Marty Cooper saying... Stay on the positive side. On the positive side is brought to you by The Colony, online at colonymusic.com or in the heart of the theater district at 49th and Broadway. You can always say, I found it at The Colony. On the boards. Emo has taken over the pop world, and no rock band can get a deal unless they get into bed with Fallout Boy. So why <laughs> not have it take over musical theater as well? Love Kills is an emo musical currently playing at the New York Musical Theater Festival. We have three of the people involved with the show here with us. How are you guys doing today? We're good. Right. Want to introduce yourselves and say what you're doing with the show? Absolutely. Uh, my name's Kyle, and uh, I wrote the show. I wrote the music and the and the script. My name is Marissa Rhodes, and I play Carol. You get in the play. And uh, my name's Eli Schneider. I play Charlie Starkweather, spree killer galore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, this isn't like, uh, you know, dancing on mountains and swirling. Sound and... of music? It's uh, not. It's, really? It's, it's, based on a, it's based on a true story. In the 1950s, uh, this teenage couple went on a killing spree. They killed 11 people. It's actually the subject of the movie Badlands, um, Natural Born Killers. So we're bringing it to the stage. Yeah. So no, no twirling on mountains, no nuns yeah. either. It sounds sadly. heartwarming. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's gorgeous. So uh, starting off, again, why did you get into wanting to write this as a musical? Well, you know, I actually, it's funny, I, I came at it from wanting to write a show about love. Um, I really wanted to write something about, especially about young love, you know, getting to a point in my, you know, sort of mid to late 20s now and, um, you know, sort of starting to realize that 
that my relationships are are changing. They're they're becoming a little more mature relationships that I have. And thinking back to you're paying for dinner now. Paying for I'm paying for <laughs> dinner exactly. But you know you think back to when you're like 16, 17, 18, and you think about this kind of all-consuming passion that you felt. Everything was always like 11 on the you know amp of emotion. And thinking about that and wondering if the change has been a positive thing or if there's been something lost as I've matured, hopefully matured. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so that's kind of, I wanted to come at that idea. And the story of this, this young couple that's so in love and so consumed by passion that it drives them to kill people, that seemed like a really interesting and sort of off-kilter way to get at that sort of issue of what what is young love and how does love change as you get older? And does love drive you to do things? Things that um, you know that that aren't right, and that later, when you're away from it, when you have some perspective, um, you know, how does that feel? So that was that's kind of how we came at it. Um, and then, and um, I don't think anybody ever said it better than REM in their insightful song "Love Hurts." Love mm. hurts. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So true. So yeah, I mean, that was sort of where we came from. And, and the director, Jason Sutherland. Um, really uh, was really into that idea and actually in the development of the play pushed it to be more and more about the emotion of the characters. Um, So, you know, we say all this sexy stuff about violence and shooting people and whatnot, but actually the show is really about sort of the emotional lives of these characters. Um, Yeah. I think that's fair to say. But they're very sexy emotional lives. I promise you. Very, very sexy. But it's, it's a really, really long journey. Uh, of you know f- figuring out what this passion is and how to deal with it and how it drives you know our characters to murder people to try to express how strongly they feel for each other uh, that the there's a line in, in um, that I have near the end of the play about how death is the only thing as real as our love and nothing else will ever feel that real and um, what they're willing to do for each other just to to prove that is insane and and throughout the course of the play each of them realizes a different thing about what love actually means and how they honestly feel about each other as they learn from the two older characters, the sheriff and his wife, who are uh, interrogating us uh, separately. And by listening to their stories about how they've dealt with their relationships and gone through life, we have a chance to, to try to understand in a more mature way what it is that we've done and if there's really any reasonable answer for why we did it. And I think, for me, that that's kind of up to the audience at the end. Like, my character feels like there was a reason, but it's okay. And remorse is, is sitting somewhere on the fence when we get to the end. <laughs> Before we continue, uh, we actually get to have a live performance featuring one of the actresses since... Uh, Marissa, hi. For the time being, you're not equity. So. Yeah, yeah. For the time being, I'm not equity. I just, I'm a newbie. This is a, this is my New York uh, debut, supposedly. So. So do you want to tell us about the song you're going to be singing? And yeah, yeah. It's what's great about this play for me is that I actually <clears throat> came off of a singing show, and it's always been about singing for me. I mean, I haven't acted in ten years. So what was great about this play is that. I didn't have to go sing show tunes, (laughs) and I didn't have to change my voice to sound like a Broadway singer, which, you know, I totally have respect for them, but it's just not me. So it was great to listen to the score that Kyle and Nathan actually ended up doing, and there's not one bad song in this show, so if you guys like emo rock, you should definitely come out and see it just for that. But um, this this song is after I had been interrogated for a while by the sheriff's wife, and... 
after I have dreams and realizations of suppressed things that I did with the love of my life, supposedly, um, I realized that it might not be the best way to express our love <laughs> in doing what we did and that I actually become very remorseful in the play and it doesn't really sit on the fence for me and I think this is the breakthrough. So you decide to sing about it. So I decide to. what else would you do? What else would I do? You know, the emotions were so big in me that they broke out <laughs> exactly. into emo music. <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, so that's what this is about and it's, uh, it's a great song. And the song is called? Uh, it's called When I Could Feel. And who's the, the young man in the fabulous pants who's playing guitar there? Nathan, Nathan Lee. Lee. Nathan is the Woo-woo! musical director, arranger, <laughs> guitarist, all-around rock star. Unbelievable. That's production. He's okay. a genius. All right. Him. Let's hit it. <laughs> I can't see the end. I can't see the end. 
So, uh, you know, Eli and Marissa, what are some of your favorite points that you get to play in the show here? I'm psychotic. <laughs> in the show. Uh, in the, in show. the show. In the show. Uh, which is my favorite kind of role to play. Um, you know, I, I've, I've played some, some nutcases in the past, and it's just so much fun. Um, but finding just the right level of creepy has been the, the real struggle because it's... I keep wanting to actually make him creepier than he act, than he is. He's My very, girlfriend still says I haven't found the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, it's, right. it's hard. It's hard to be the perfect level of creepy so that you're still, you know, interesting. Eli uh, does great crazy eyes. Yeah, I, he's got I, a really good crazy eye. It's been really difficult <laughs> Thanks, for me to like me to like have to because I have to look at him and I, in certain aspects of the show, and I'm like. What are you staring at, basically? And it's, it kind of creeps you out because he does so good at it that it's like, ugh. So it's taken me time to, like, try to make sure that I could just not laugh or it's, just it's keep in character. It's one of those things that I hope doesn't come too naturally, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm having a lot of fun with. Um, my favorite part of the show is uh, there's a lot of different aspects to Carol. I, I mean, I'm 15. I'm a 23-year-old playing a 15-year-old, which is cool, because I get to be that a little never brat happens. again. Yeah, right? <laughs> I get to be a little brat again, which is cool, um, and I get to be a little bitchy, which is even funner. Um, but I also get to go from bratty to bitchy to loving. It's, it's like an all-around circle. Everybody emotion. out here is saying that's what you're like just normal. I am. I am. I am. Love you, too. Love you, too. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun, and... Uh, you know, it, it, it really pushes your limit as an actor, this show does. And you get to do a lot of stuff um, that I wouldn't normally do. Well, you know, it's, I, uh, what I just want to say about Eli and Marissa that I think is so great is, you know, it's a tough challenge to play characters who have killed people who are obviously morally, um, you know, morally questionable at best, right? And yet also get the audience to sympathize and love you. And I think that they both do a fantastic job of walking that line, of exploring people who are deeply flawed, but also eliciting um, sympathy from the audience. Um, so hopefully, you know, obviously all of us are deeply flawed. All of us don't kill people, um, <laughs> you know, hopefully. But, uh, <laughs> but hopefully the audience will be able to see that reflected in their performance. Oh, shucks, Kyle, thanks. The way that arcs through the play, too, is, is uh, Kyle made it really easy. Um, you know the moments when, when things are, 20 <laughs> the, 40, 40. The, the moments when it's supposed to when the audience is supposed to hate us he wrote really well but then the, there's moments when you're you're not going to have a choice because he wrote this love song that we sing that is it's beautiful and it's in a 1950s style it's it's probably the I think it's the only like tried and true rock and roll song uh, in the show and um, if you don't end up liking us while you're listening to that song, go home. <laughs> uh, because because uh, he, he, he wrote it so well. So uh, ho- hopefully through, through that, there'll be a chance to, to root for us, but, but hate us at the same time. Well, you know, one thing that I often think about in terms of musical theater, if I may be so bold, it really, really quickly, is that I think a lot of times in musicals, um, 
you know, there's not a lot of time for character exposition through dialogue, right? Your book scenes, you don't want them to be too long. Obviously, that's important. And I find that sometimes what the result is in a lot of musicals, you get good guys, you get bad guys. You don't really get those shadings of character. And obviously, real life is not like that. And so one of the things that I think we all try to do, myself, the director, Jason Sutherland, Marissa, Eli, D.D. Uh, D. O'Connell, and John Hickok, who are the other two actors in the show, all tried to bring complexity to these characters. And even though it is a musical, and even though the book scenes do have to be short, trying to find a way to get at that complexity and that darkness of character that I think sometimes musical theater doesn't allow for. So hopefully we succeeded. But that was definitely part of the goal. Mm -hmm. So if people want to catch Love Kills, uh, when does it open? When does it close? It opens September 18th, and it closes September 29th. And what theater is it playing at? The 45th Street Theater. And they can also go to lovekillsthemusical.com. Yes, you or can. Or find specifics at the nymph.org segment. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Marissa Rhodes, Eli Schneider, Kyle Jarrow, I want you to thank you so much for coming down and talking about Love Kills. And thanks for performing, Marissa. So no thanks problem. for not being in equity. <laughs> and <a special laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and a special thanks again for, to Nathan Lee for playing for you. Yay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Top of the trades. As Marty mentioned, and on the positive side, Broadway's original Cosette, three-time Tony Award nominee Judy Kuhn will return to Les Miserables 20 years later to play the role of Fantine, Cosette's mother, beginning October 23rd. For tickets and information, call telecharge.com at 212-239-6200 or visit www.telecharge.com or www.lesmisnewyork.com. Television and stage stars Kelsey Grammer and Patricia Heaton star in Fox's new comedy, Back to You, which debuts September 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They are joined in the new series by fellow stage veterans Josh Gad and Ty Burrell. I have mixed feelings about this. I definitely love the two performers, but the series doesn't feel like anything new. However, I have seen some good reviews, so I'll probably give it a shot. Uh, let me know what you think. Make Me a Song, the music of William Finn, will open off-Broadway at New World Stages on Tuesday, November 12th, with previews starting on October 30th. The musical review with a cast of four showcases the songs of composer-lyricist William Finn. The show is originally slated to be this spring, but there were scheduling difficulties, and I'm pleased to hear that it is back on track and set for a November opening. The awards and recognition continue to roll in for recent Deuce star Marion Seldes, who is honored by the Stella Adler Studio of Acting on September 17th. Seldes was presented with the Harold Clerman Spirit Awards as part of the closing ceremony to the second annual Harold Clerman Festival of the Arts. Well, on Monday, September 24th, the 2007 New York Innovative Theater Awards will be handed out at FIT's Haft Auditorium. Uh, it's not open to the public, I don't believe, but uh, I love their invite that says, Appropriate dress is funky cool to black tie and anything in between. Hmm. I wish I would heard about this earlier. I would have loved to go and cover it. I'm hoping to get one of my interns down there to bring you the skinny, since so many of these shows have been on Broadway Bowl the past year. You can find out more at nyitaawards.com. Every week we bring you the top news stories in theater on Top of the Trades. Top of the Trades is sponsored by BroadwayWorld.com. Visit Broadway World for news, social activities, videos, audio, and more. Curtain Call. I'm going to do something a little different in Curtain Call here, and that's to put a call out to you, our listeners. I don't know how many of you are, like, active-minded here in the New York theater community, but... 
more and more I'm hearing total grumbling that there has got to be some changes made in the equity codes for showcase uh, performances. It's just impossible for a producer to mount a small commercial production in this city and have any hope of recouping, let alone profiting. It's a money pit, and it's a labor of love, and equity doesn't seem to want to recognize it as anything else or offer provisions that would make it possible for an extended run that could indeed provide jobs for actors and outlets, creative outlets for directors, playwrights, and more. There's only so much I can do and my time is thin, but I did want to say that if there is some activist out there who wants to um, figure out a way to try to combat the situation and petition equity in a business-like manner and whatnot, I'm more than willing to assist. I can't lead the charge, but I can help out here at Broadway Bullet. I can help out with meeting places and locales if necessary. If anybody holds this near and dear to their heart, you can give me an email at info at broadwaybullet.com or give me a call personally at 646-345-3433. I believe this is a situation that really needs to be resolved if we're going to have truly a creative community that doesn't just rely on plopping grease or... Uh, Mary Poppins on the marquee, as Marty Cooper put it. We need to be able to develop the marquee names of the future, and we need to have a financially, a financially beneficial avenue to be able to do that. So please, please, if you have the spirit in you to spearhead this or get involved, give me a buzz. On that note, we're going to end, but don't miss the bonus episode to Volume 129. We've got three more shows, interviews and music, the Like Love Die Hard, the puppet musical, and Going Down Swinging. Some fun stuff there. You don't want to miss it. I had a lot of shows to try to get out before they opened, and so I couldn't hold on to these till next week. So be sure you check that out. And I'm your host, Michael Gilbo. And until next week, thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live after all. It is live. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And, if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.